Hello, listeners. I'm Michael Lanspa, Web Director for the ATS Critical Assembly. Thanks for listening in. I'm joined today by Dr. Dale Needham, Professor of Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine and Director of the Outcomes After Critical Illness and Surgery Group, OASIS Group, at Johns Hopkins University. Our topic today concerns conducting long-term outcomes research in survivors of critical illness. First, thank you for joining me in what I hope will be an insightful discussion. I'd like to start with the observation that many of our patients have poor short-term outcomes, and we intensivists have challenges even with achieving 30-day survival or organ failure-free days. So my first question to you is, why study long-term outcomes when we still haven't fixed the short-term problems? That's a great question. I think it's important to step back and recognize that the vast majority of our patients are surviving their ICU stay. In some ICUs, for example, this may be 80 or 85% or perhaps even 90% of patients surviving. As a result, there's an ever-growing pool of survivors who may experience some long-term post-ICU problems, which really are the motivation for work in this area. What do you think are some of the unique challenges that are particular to studying long-term outcomes in critically ill patients? Great question. So I think a few key elements and challenges include selecting appropriate outcome measurements and and instruments for this population, retaining these ICU survivors in longitudinal follow-up studies, and also using appropriate statistical methods for evaluating functional outcomes when there's a so-called competing risk of mortality. Can you elaborate what sort of dimensions you assess when you're studying long-term outcomes? Sure. So in the past, I think the clinical research community in critical care have evaluated many, many different domains using many different instruments. In fact, a large scoping review done of 425 ICU survivorship articles demonstrated that 250 different measurement instruments were used in the field. This scoping review was first authored by Alison Turnbull in our OASIS group and will be published in Critical Care Medicine. Hence, that's part of the motivation for the international Delphi consensus process that we recently completed as part of this national infrastructure grant that we have from National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute. As part of that process or that program of research, we've just recently published a paper in critical care medicine that's a result of this multi-year process to help answer the question that you're asking. This paper helped us answer the question of what our core domains of patient outcomes. What I mean by this is what aspects of patient outcomes are recommended to be measured in all studies that choose to evaluate patient outcomes after hospital discharge. The International Delphi panel making these recommendations had approximately one quarter of its members that were patients or caregivers, as well as clinicians and clinical researchers. Everyone on the panel was provided a great deal of information regarding the results of qualitative research and of national and international surveys of patients, caregivers, researchers, and clinicians. And from this entire process, this Delphi process identified eight domains that were considered core areas for measurement in all studies that choose to evaluate patient outcomes after hospital discharge. These eight areas are survival, physical function, muscle and nerve function, pulmonary function, pain, mental health, cognitive function, and quality of life. And I think you can see there, incidentally, are similarities to what's contained in the concept of post-intensive care syndrome. This was done completely independently of the concept of post-intensive care syndrome, but I think that 
it's not surprising that similar themes come out through these two separate processes. Well, thank you for that answer. You bring up post-intensive care syndrome, and I find it interesting. You've done some work on clinician and researcher perspectives on patient outcomes after discharge from acute respiratory failure, as well as work on survivors' experiences. In regard to post-intensive care syndrome, in your perspective, do you think clinicians are concerned about the same long-term outcome domains as survivors? We had the exact same question, and that was something that we specifically looked at in the program of research that we've done, including in all of the preliminary studies that were provided to the Delphi Consensus Panel. In general, our findings show that clinicians and researchers generally have similar perspectives to patients and caregivers in terms of these core domains or those core areas that should be considered in all future research studies. Notably, however, patients and caregivers, not surprisingly, had greater insight or greater importance on domains such as delays in return to work and healthcare utilization after discharge, but results were generally in the same direction. Well, that's good to know that at least our intuitive expectations were uh, fulfilled as far as what patients care about. Now, Dr. Needham, you've also been awarded an R24 grant from the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute. Can you tell us a little bit about what the aim of that grant is? Sure. So this is a special type of NIH grant mechanism that's aimed at creating free research infrastructure or resources for people conducting research across the country. So with respect to our specific R24 grant, we aim to help clinical researchers that are interested in evaluating patient outcomes after hospital discharge to conduct this sort of research in survivors of acute respiratory failure or acute respiratory distress syndrome. Well, that's very exciting, and it's going to be very useful for a lot of our research colleagues. In fact, some of my colleagues are already using your tools, and we'll get a little bit more into that in a few minutes. What sort of instruments do you use to assess uh, these long-term domains? As part of this research, I've talked already about these core domains. The next stage of this research specifically looked at what measurement instruments should be used for those domains. And the jargon for this is a core outcome set. That's the set of measures that are recommended to always be used in evaluating these core domains in studies that are going to evaluate patients' outcomes after discharge. To be clear, this core outcome set and our grant is not telling critical care investigators that all studies must include post-discharge outcomes. For some studies, that simply is not scientifically sensible or it's not feasible. These recommendations are for studies that already have chosen to say they want to measure post-discharge outcomes. And what we want to do is try to have people begin to measure the same outcomes in the same way. So this consensus process was there to determine a small, feasible, minimum set of outcome measures for those that want to include it. And of course, investigators can add on additional measures on top of this core outcome set because the core outcome set may not specifically address the primary research question they have or they may want to use an additional instrument. So this bare minimum core outcome set involves three existing survey instruments that evaluate the core domains of survival, quality of life, pain, and mental health outcomes. There are a total of 42 questions that require about 12 minutes of time when these surveys are administered in ICU survivors. There are additional tests that can be added, 
as well as in-person tests for those that want to focus additional effort or attention on core domains, particularly in the area of cognition, physical function, and muscle and nerve function. And there are many more details about this that appear at our website. Our website's www.improvelto.com. That's all one word, and LTO stands for long-term outcomes. So www.improvelto.com. Well, thanks for that mention of your website. I think that is going to be a great resource. Uh, several of my colleagues who do work in long-term outcomes research have actually uh, mentioned this website to me, and I've reviewed it. It's quite quite useful. I find when I'm reviewing critical care research, there are a lot of challenges with uh, losing patients to follow-up. Sometimes we can't even get 30-day mortality and have to settle for inpatient mortality. Yet I'm still impressed every time I read some of these long-term outcome assessments about the incredible follow-up and retention. What sort of strategies have you developed as a group to address the challenges of follow-up and cohort retention? You've identified a critical problem, and I'm very happy to say that as part of this National Infrastructure Grant, this is a $5.5 million five-year grant, a huge investment of uh, NHLBI. As a result of that infrastructure and funding, we've been able to create a lot of strategies in this area. My research group, the Outcomes After Critical Illness and Surgery Research Group at Hopkins, has been fortunate to participate in performing long-term outcome assessments from the four last ARDS network multi-site national randomized trials that were conducted in more than 40 hospitals. As part of that research, we had administered at least 10 survey instruments with almost 300 questions at 6 and 12 months after ARDS. We were able to contact and evaluate outcomes for more than 1,600 assessments at 6 and 12 months using two centralized telephone call centers. And we did that with less than 5% loss to follow-up. So to accomplish this, we treated participant retention like a science. We did a lot of research, including systematic reviews of the literature around cohort retention. We consulted extensively with other research groups regarding best practices to maximize participant retention. And we've taken that research along with our own practical experience and created more than 30 free downloadable resources from the ImproveLTO.com website. And that includes a research resource that's a searchable database with more than 600 participant retention strategies from a systematic review that we conducted. So we really hope that these strategies are going to be very practical approaches for investigators and their research staff to improve cohort retention in their longitudinal studies. Well, that's great. I'm really impressed with how well your group is able to achieve uh, minimal loss to follow-up. I'd like to get back to a comment you made earlier in the podcast where you had brought up the issue of competing risk of mortality. And I wanted to kind of get in a bit more detail about what sort of statistical strategies your group has developed to deal with the possibility for missing data among survivors. Great. The key issue here is recognizing that there is a competing risk of mortality very commonly in critical care research studies when we're evaluating a functional outcome, meaning a non-mortality outcome after hospital discharge. For instance, if two treatments have differing effects of mortality, then you're going to have very different groups of survivors, for example, at six and 12-month follow-up, when you're assessing that functional outcome, such as muscle strength or depression or quality of life. And if the statistical analysis plan doesn't account for these differences, then 
the investigator risks reporting a biased estimate of the treatment effect. There are a few commonly used approaches for addressing this, including composite outcomes that combine the functional outcome along with the mortality outcome and often use rank-based statistical tests, as well as more complex causal inference methods such as the so-called SACE, Survivor Average Causal Effect. We have a group of biostatisticians who are part of this this R24 grant, and those biostatisticians on our team created a free application that can be used to simultaneously perform these distinct statistical approaches in addition to a survivors-only approach in order to make these techniques more accessible to clinical researchers who may not have sophisticated statistical collaborators. So we think that this is a very important approach to help advance the field, particularly because the statistical application is entirely self-contained and does not require someone to download, for example, the R statistical programming language onto their computer. It can all be done within the application itself. Well, that's great that it can be done right there on the application without having to use a separate statistical suite. One of the other statistical issues, I suppose, that concerns me about long-term outcomes studies is that the farther we go out from the initial illness, the harder it is to detect a signal from the intervention. And unlike outpatient studies, most critical care studies are often faced with limited numbers of enrollment. So how do you address the challenge of signal attenuation when you study long-term outcomes in critically ill patients? I entirely agree. I think that we have to very carefully think about our power calculations when doing these long-term outcome studies. To date, most studies have not used a long-term outcome as their primary endpoint, and long-term outcome studies may be a way of evaluating if a short-term benefit had a signal of sustainability at a longer-term time point. So what I'm saying, for example, is many critical care trials that have an intervention in the ICU may still be picking a more proximal time point as the primary endpoint, but then trying to demonstrate that if that benefit seems to be sustained with longer-term outcomes as secondary endpoints. But of course, there will be some interventions where a longer-term outcome will in fact be the primary outcome. These issues need to be considered very carefully in consultation with a methodologist like a biostatistician when planning sample size and having realistic expectations for what attrition is going to happen due to death and loss to follow-up. And sadly, it wouldn't be unusual within critical care studies for a very high proportion of patients to be lost to follow-up. It could be as much as 30 or 40% of patients in some studies. The least expensive way to address this issue of power is try to improve participant retention strategies. That generally is going to be a much more cost-effective way than enrolling more patients into a study to address that attrition and it will also likely be a less biased approach. So I really encourage people to think about these resources that we provide on our website, www.improvelto.com, in order to think about ways that their practice could be improved. And we know that many of these techniques are very helpful because we've had other study sites and other investigators use and adopt them, and many of the resources have been inspired by us asking other investigators what they need or being asked to directly help them. So I think that's a really important way to address your question. Well, thanks. You've convinced me. I think it's after hearing you talk about it, I feel that uh, it shouldn't be too much of a challenge to get good retention and perhaps improve our power. 
for any other clinicians or researchers that are in, interested in long-term outcome research, what sort of resources are available? So in general, we're trying to make the NIH-funded research website, www.improvelto.com, sort of a clearinghouse or a centralized point for this. Everything on the website is free of charge since it's funded by the NIH. And in fact, we've used what's called Creative Commons licensing to make it very clear that people can download, use, and adapt the tools without needing to seek any specific copyright permission, for example, because it's got licensing to allow people to specifically do this. So I think that that would be the starting point for most uh, investigators. We also, by going to that website, there's an email address for people to reach out if they've got a specific question that's not already answered. And what we really would like is this grant is in the so-called dissemination phase. So we're very happy that you've been willing to have me join the podcast, and we're very happy if the listeners could share this information with others because a measure of the success of this work is going to be how many people access the website, use its resources, and can we really reach these goals of improving the outcomes, the statistical analyses, the cohort retention in future studies in the field. Well, that's great, and I think that website is absolutely tremendous. In fact, my own research has been uh, primarily short-term and physiologic-based, but after reviewing your website, one of my colleagues is already planning to uh, pend onto our research and start looking at some long-term outcomes in critically ill patients here. So I'm, I, I can't speak highly enough about the uh, great work you've done with ImproveLTO.com. Any other last thoughts? We're also very grateful that the American Thoracic Society and the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute have programmed an entire hour at the ATS International Conference on the resources created from this R24 National Infrastructure Grant. The one-hour session will happen at 12.15 to 1.15 on Wednesday, the last day of the conference. So if people are around, we really invite them to come to that session to hear about all of the resources that we have and to interact with many people on the team that help do the research to create these resources. I think that's an excellent opportunity for those that are at the ATS conference. Thank you, Dr. Needham, for joining me in this very, very insightful discussion. I'm hoping that work by you and others will help intensivists better understand the long-term implications of the therapies they administer, and I'm hoping that our listeners are going to take advantage of the tools you've developed. Great. Well, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to share this work. I think this is uh, a tremendous opportunity, and we very much do look forward to, to listeners engaging with the website, downloading resources, and doing exactly what you said, being inspired, I hope, to think about longer-term outcomes and think about feasible ways. As I've mentioned, the core outcome set that once it's accepted for publication will be, be on the website helps people understand that it's just 12 minutes of time that uh, could be tacked on to a research study for those that really are interested in looking at longer-term outcomes and think that it's feasible and scientifically relevant to their, their interventions. So thank you so much for this opportunity. I really think that it's going to help advance the field. Well, I think so too. I think we're out of time here, so this concludes the ATS Critical Care Podcast. For any listeners who are interested in accessing the Long-Term Outcomes Research website, please head to www.improvelto.com. That's ImproveLTO, one word. Uh, this is Michael Lanspa for the American Thoracic Society Critical Care Assembly. Thank you.